you're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast. I'm Rebecca Middles, and today I'm joined by Landon Mascarenas, an educator, writer, and vice president of community partnership at the Colorado Education Initiative. We're also joined by Donnie Tran, a partner at the Center for Innovation in Education. Their new book, The Open System, Redesigning Education and Reigniting Democracy, makes the case that education is our greatest democracy-building endeavor. We can imagine our democracy and countless other shared pursuits of our society through this work. Thank you both so much for being here. Oh, we're thrilled to be here. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us, Rebecca. I know you both attended Harvard Graduate School around the same cohort at the same time. Um, were you both in Teach for America around the same time as well? How do you know each other? Yep. Uh, we, we were both on staff at the same time, but in different regions of the country. Uh, I was in the Massachusetts area and uh, Landon was in New Mexico. It's really interesting. We didn't meet, though, till we went to graduate school. Uh, Donnie, at that point, was living in Boston, and he was an amazing uh, local tour guide, ensuring that I got to know all the awesome spots in Cambridge and Somerville. And we really bonded, I think, over some of the big questions that we were both wrestling with, which related to kind of the status of the education uh, system at this time, uh, the efforts to change it where we felt like the challenges had uh, kind of uh, been persistent and became great friends. And through uh, kind of having a conversation and a friendship grounded on those questions and other kind of our personal and professional experiences uh, came together in uh, the last few years to really kickstart this project around the open system. I'm trying to imagine that cohort experience for others that were with you and how great that must have been. I deeply enjoyed that your book speaks to practitioners and includes examples, but also strategies and practical considerations. Often when people write about leading change, it may include case studies, but often they're so abbreviated that the processes used along the way often get lost. You started the Open System Institute in 2019. What brought you to write the Open System, Redesigning Education and Reigniting Democracy, particularly with the practitioner at the center? What brought you to write that? Yeah, well, we had both come from a practice background. Um, so Landon was a, a leader in the Denver public school system, and I was uh, the same in the Boston public schools. And we both f found that the ways in which big systems were interacting with their communities wasn't really leading to the equitable outcomes that we would really hope for, uh, and that the whole entire educational uh the educational system was really founded upon. And so we have both sort of independently started doing work in a different way, uh, collaborating with folks across boundaries. Um, in my case, you know, really working with teachers and with communities and with students to do things within BPS and, and Landon, you know, doing so much incredible parent and community facing work in DPS that we were, we, sort of happened upon some of the same practices. And as we started to compare notes, we realized that we had, we had, we really thought we were onto something. And uh, that led to, you know, the first convening that we had in, in 2019, which uh, Landon can speak more to. You know, uh, one of the things that we realized over the course of doing a lot of this work, Rebecca, was that um, whether you're a community organizer, a district leader, a charter school leader, um, a, a parent or a family member, um, there was a lack of shared language um, across these different pursuits, but yet an immense value alignment to um, have a system respond to its community in a fundamentally different way. 
And we see the language of co-creation uh, really starting to become a thing that people talked a lot about uh, in the late teens. Um, and uh, we brought a bunch of people together here in 2019 to begin to co-create a shared discipline for opening up systems to the communities they served. And really this idea of closed versus open became a rallying point, uh, a new type of schema that we built with all sorts of folks from across different spaces. And um, the most powerful part was that um, a few months later, when the COVID pandemic really ripped open our education system and our society, um, many of the openers that were there uh, and here in 2019 um, began to innovate and design. And so we really began a, a shared pursuit, not only Don and I, but a variety of other folks in this dialogue. And you can see that, I think, in the design of the book. Let's talk about the design. You organize your six principles in three stages, preparing, provoking, and propelling. Is this more linear than cyclical? Could you talk about that? And how does the readiness of a system play into the timelines of these? Yeah. I mean, we really, we wanted those three stages to help people, you know, kind of get their hands around what does it mean to uh, begin leading in an open way and to start architecting systems to be more open. And so we we would say, like, and the answer in response to the idea or the question of whether or not it's linear or cyclical, it's it's a little bit of both. Uh, and actually, one way to say it is it's a little bit recursive, right? It, it loops in on itself over and over again. So preparing that phase uh, encompasses the practices that are about understanding your own inclinations and orientations as a leader towards openness. So it is really like internal exploration, but then looking outwards and thinking, well, how prepared is my community? Uh, where are the open opportunities and the spaces for doing open work within the context that I find myself in? And that's, that is a sort of ground laying work uh, that then allows for the provoking phase when you're actually acting in the open way. You're leading and doing the work around a particular opportunity, a particular project, a particular thing in which you can demonstrate the capacities and, uh, and the skills of being an open leader. But well, we know that defining things in the context of just like a project is a good way to actually not create systems change, right? It becomes something that can be cloistered. Uh, and so the third phase of propelling is really about identifying well, where are the new opportunities for openness? How can we figure out places where we can actually do some of the same things in some of the same ways, uh, but with new contexts and to teach more of the system about how to be, uh, you know, how to be open to the communities that they're in. And so that idea of the recursive loop then is, is really uh, trying to figure out multiple multiple spins around the wheel uh, to get the system to act in a more open way holistically. Wonderful. I agree. I think that's so important for people to understand. I wish we had a visual that could show that better sometimes because it is recursive and it goes through and it also, sometimes you have to go back, right? You have to loop back. New people come into the story, new people come into the work. And so I appreciate that being highlighted. Ed leaders are public leaders. You say that which is great. They address the system inequity and they should understand the role they have in democracy. Can you share more about this for our listeners? Uh, Rebecca, this is such a really important point of the open system concept. Um, so much of our public education system infrastructure, our training infrastructure is really to prepare people for the technical or technocratic work of managing systems. Um, 
And I think I was consistently surprised by how challenging it was in DPS or working with other leaders around the state or region or country um, to be able to have conversations about how they're accountable to the communities they serve, how they need to be in positions of managing the political context of their community, understanding the complex historical uh, and community dynamics that are at play. Um, and so the reality is, even as a principal, you're managing a multi-million dollar taxpayer institution. Um, there is a lot of public accountabilities and a lot of public responsibility that emerges from that. And fundamentally, not only are we not preparing leaders for those conversations, we are not um, encouraging them and building the shared language between them and the community they serve around what that even looks like. So there's a lot of pent up anger, frustration, and fear on both sides of that dilemma. Um, leaders are uh, values aligned often to maybe potentially open up to the community they serve, but um, are scared to even do it because they fear the political failure of becoming too public. Um, and communities uh, often don't know where to push inside the system to get maximum leverage um, for how to actually create uh, that opportunity. And so I think that if we were really um, at this moment saying, if education is the forge of our democracy, if it's our great democracy building endeavor, and we don't take seriously the responsibility to practice democracy um, from our ed leaders in our education systems, then we are in fact building a countervailing anti-democratic force at the very heart of our uh, democracy. Um, and I think we have to get really serious about that in education. Um, and and a, it's a part of the design of the book is to create uh, thoughtful, targeted ways for leaders to begin to approach the work differently. I might have just, well, I mean, you can edit out this little beginning piece, uh, but, you know, I often think about what are we apprenticing our children, young people to do, and how are we apprenticing them to be? And if you look at so many of the structures by which we operate schools, it is apprenticing them into compliance and, um, and, and really not demonstrating the kind of open, democratic, deliberative complex work that we actually hope they really will be capable of when they leave. Thank you for having that. Sometimes we call that, um, well, I call it solutionaries. I've been trying to get that word out there for a while, but there's a solutionary mindset with that, with opportunity seeking. And I think when we show that, I think that leads into your next principle and stage where you have that open moment or window for co-creation and community redesign. What are some examples? I think you were just kind of going there, but some more examples of what that looks like for systems. You know, I've been, we've been very, both very lucky in the, in the context of the book to be able to feature um, the incredible work that's happening under Commissioner Jason Glass in Kentucky. Uh, and the work there is a great example of what it means to find an open moment. Um, it, it's a lot about the intersection between what the executive wants and is, feels able to do and what the public you know, desires and can give energy to, and where the governance partner is also willing to lean in and allow for an open way of working. And so the Kentucky work proceeded right along those lines where we had uh, Dr. Glass who said, you know what, I really think that assessment and accountability, the way it's currently structured, is not really serving the needs of Kentuckians. And Lou Young, the board chair of the Kentucky Board of Education, uh, absolutely agreed. 
and so she, from her vantage point of leadership, she was able to really give the you know sort of authorization to pursue this this really fruitful topic, but more than that, to pursue it in a way that was going to involve a broader cross section of the community. And then once we started to understand what the community really wanted, there was such clear energy around assessment and accountability change that it was the perfect Venn diagram of all three of those sources of energy and will and commitment. And that really demonstrated that the open moment and that window of opportunity uh, was really very clear that it was present for us. Uh, and that's continued, you know, that's continued to be, to be so. And uh, as we continue to do that work, it's demonstrated that the energy that comes from those three different directions has really pushed the work forward. Yeah. And to play off what you were just sharing in the last question, I think so often we, we bring leaders in and we have these expectations for how they will lead, not just what we want to, to be the outcome. So I appreciate that you highlighted an example that really set the stage for that understanding because so often we have superintendents. I can think of some examples in Colorado um, where they're brought in to make changes for a district, but the board may not understand that process and that timing and what that looks like, assuming they might have all the answers. But really, like if you're setting them up to be service orientated and really listening to the community, you're really, really um, putting processes in place, which is why I love you talking about the timeline and that cyclical approach. Um, I think that leads to that last principle uh, for expand openness. You talk about co-creation to co-production and slipstreams, which is fun. This does not get talked about enough. Um, systems typically do not plan for ways to sustain growth. They want to get there, but they don't talk about ways to sustain it. Can you share a strong example or two of where you've seen this? This is uh, a really great, um, to your point, an opportunity to drill down into where openness really um, has to go, Rebecca. Um, because the thing that we like to say is that um, if co-creation is a promise, co-production is the commitment. Um, and the idea, and I think this is where like language is really important. It's why the, the book is an attempt to build shared language. You know, co-creation, this act of designing with, imagining with, envisioning with, to the co-production work of building with, doing with, understanding with. Um, to us, that is actually going deeper inside the bowels and guts of the system with your key stakeholders to design the work. For example, in Boulder, when Rob Anderson saw an open moment to design with his community a response to the challenges around uh, school discipline and school resource officers, um, a task force came up with 10 guiding principles for what that work could look like. He did not just go take that back inside of the system, design it, and then output it out. He kept, he kept community members at the table. He kept youth of color at the table to actually build out the job descriptions, to actually hire the new school safety advocates, to reimagine the actual implementation of the work. Um, and the benefits of that are enormous. Um, creating more trust, um, also pivoting when new things are learned. You know, sometimes we say things in creation that when we actually get inside the mechanics of the system, we realize are, are either not possible or need to be done in a different way. Um, and it prevents the kind of gap dilemma of coming back to the community and saying, oh, hey, this thing you asked for didn't happen. Oh, why? Well, we just decided it, it didn't make sense. Um, keeping people at the table in those conversations is really critical. And the work of slipstreaming and seeking slipstreams is saying, 
Um, okay, so we built school safety advocates in Boulder. Well, what are the other other initiatives happening alongside us that could have the opportunity for community co-creation? When I was in DPS, we used to think about it as, oh man, like we're about to roll out our community-driven uh, year zero school turnaround process. Oh, and guess what? The communications team wants to launch a new uh, family-centered marketing initiative at the exact same time. Oh, let's target the same schools that we're working in and joint pull the energy together for maximum input and actually have a reverberation effect in terms of the co-creation and co-production work that's possible. And it requires boundary spanning. It requires bringing districts and departments together across silos. But yet, to Donnie's earlier point, it's the way that openness expands inside and beyond systems. Um, back to this idea of this recursive loop. And it like really just is about letting the work ripple out. Um, but the work of the opener is to see, merge, connect, and find new ways to make those pieces possible. And I can give another example from Burlington, Vermont, uh, where there was a coalition brought together to co-create the district strategic plan. And that included families, actually over-representing families who had students that received special education services, over-representing students who were learning English. Uh, and they that group created the strategic plan and its core elements. But the district has followed up to take that co-creation, go from co-creation to actually take that co-production step by establishing a permanent uh, guiding coalition within the district that includes families and students, many of whom were involved in the original creation, but to give additional support in an ongoing way to the implementation of the strategic plan. So they're lending their capacity now to delivering on all the promises uh, and not leaving it to the district to do it alone. You know, they're, they're resourcing new capacity, new strengths, new insights, uh, and connecting the community into the, into the uh, process of actually executing on that idea. And that works, I think, because you shared in the book that that works because they know their feedback was well received. They, I believe that was the example where the leader was very vulnerable about where they had misstepped and had not met those expectations and were able to put that out there, which I think invites um, true partnership to be a part of this. So, you know, what I'm also hearing you say, um, often people will talk about learning models and Landon, this is how we first uh, met is I'm known for working on competency-based personalized learning. And often people will misunderstand that as the vision versus what the learning model is meant to serve that vision and, and how far you can go into what phase, right? And so sometimes people will say competency-based learning and it means so many different things across the country because of people's urgency platforms and where they are. And I think having that understanding and having leaders that are ready to lead and read the room really helps that be uh, the most successful. So I appreciate that you really are um, talking about how if you're creating an open framework, you may not know that end milepost right now and that you have to be ready for that to change. And I think that really invites people to be a part of the process that you're talking about to sustain that growth. Um, on that point, Rebecca, you know, this is one of those things that's, uh, you know, competency-based education, a learner-centered model. These are things I think people really aspire to in education. And um, the dilemma of great education ideas and opportunities is how do we do this in that co-creative act to build broader bases of legitimacy and support from the students, parents, and families of that system. Um, and, uh, you know, too often the great uh, visions, um, even the best well-intentioned visions of education 
initiatives over the past few decades have really crashed on this shore uh, of not actually doing the co-creative work. And I've seen incredible learner-centered models deployed um, when students and families are co-creating that alongside um, educators. Um, because then there's just, I mean, this is what the research of organizational dynamics is very clear. Diverse people in the room make better decisions. Um, you know, we know that in all sorts of systems. And uh, the, or, the idea of the open system is that through that co-creation, the disruption and possibility is enormous. And I would just add that, you know, competencies, defining what they are, is an act of trying to define what a community wants for their young people. And it is also a mechanism by which we can be more responsive to the individual young people that are sitting in front of us. Right. But if you go about implementing and creating a competency-based system in a way that isn't co-creative, you're short-circuiting that responsiveness. And anytime you have that kind of disjunction, you're, you're limiting the impact or the likely success of, of that initiative. Um, knowing that the public sector is inherently closed in nature. I appreciate how you wrestled with this. And, and I think that will be helpful for readers to hear. How does this level of, of adaption or how does this level of adaptability of an organization depend on phases of change or readiness, like we mentioned earlier for a system? Because for example, even with a window, an organization may not be ready to be completely opened. Like how are you helping people understand that and see that? Yeah, no, this is a, it's a great way to frame the question. I think one, one way to, to maybe get uh, at the crux of it is that a system is not monolithically open or closed. And there are always folks within it who have an orientation towards openness. And there are always folks within it who have an orientation towards being closed. And it's about when we say that we want to identify or we start with leadership and we want to identify, you know, who and in what ways do different individuals within the system have an inclination towards openness? Like, do they, how do they have the capacity? Do they have the interest? Do they have the humility to lead in this way? And then identifying an open moment is figuring out, is there a match with some of the opportunities that present themselves both within the organization, but particularly how it crosses into what the community is asking and wanting and needing. And so it's when we when we say that this when we try to talk about readiness of the system, what we're talking about is the intersection between the readiness of the individuals and the particular aspects uh, where we want to apply an open lens. And that is a uh, inherently a contextual and political decision. Uh, which, which is why we have to bring a pretty complex and thoughtful analysis around the, the identification of an open moment and the right people to do it. Lovely. This had to have been challenging when you think about what you just surfaced. You're trying to write something that is intentionally personalized. It is intentionally meant to be personalized in nature to a global concept of a learning ecosystem. That had to be challenging to write. I mean, this is often at the heart of leading and managing, right? Or open and closed. Um, can you share a little bit about that challenge of trying to write a book like this um, for people so that they don't try to take it as a manual, instruction manual, but more about the, the processes? Can you share some more? Um, it's 
this was was really at the heart of the project, Rebecca. Um, how do we write a book that will appeal to a significant cross section of practitioners, yet have a theoretical underpinning that is respected by uh, you know people that um, are thinking about the design of systems um, and um, be able to appeal to folks at different stages of their learning journey because we have people who are practitioners who are very advanced in some of this work and this comes really intuitive to them. And I think the greatest compliment we ever get is when people say, I'm trying to do this. I just didn't have this language. Um, and we hear that a lot. And that's, so we had to kind of meet a lot of different folks. And I think, you know, we are aspirational that we took a good swing at it um, and uh, would love, uh, and we're looking forward to people's feedback on uh, how that went and how we could get better at it. Uh, but there's a few things that really get to, I think, the heart of your question. Uh, one um, is that uh, we really deeply believe, and we've been very inspired by Adrian Reed Brown's work around emergent strategy and the connection of fractals. And this really comes to uh, the connection between the personal and the systemic, uh, the micro to the macro that, um, you know, change yourself to change the world. Um, and that we really believe in this intersection between um, kind of our personal choices and values, the places we work and the broader system we're a part of at in our graduate program, and the, the core framework was self-site sector. Um, that's a thing that um, we've spent a lot of time in various organizations we've worked in, really um, helping people understand the, and helping ourselves understand those connections. Um, a second thing is that we really were intentional about some of the language uh, decisions. Um, we really want to access deep schema in people, Rebecca. Um, and by that, I mean, there's a lot of words in education that mean a hundred different things to a hundred different people, um, but are very blurry in concept. Um, yet when we started having conversations about open versus closed, um, we are accessing a very, very deep thing in your mind um, that actually like is a, a concept that your grandparents and great grandparents and great, great grandparents understood. Um, whether like their door was open, their house was open, their community was open to other people or whether it was closed. And we think there is something very important about accessing that level of different schema. And we, we had conversations with educators, community members, and we say, what's your family engagement strategies versus um, is your school open to the community it serves? It's a completely different conversation. Um, and I think that's a really key aspect to the design of the book. And then I think... Um, you see this in the first chapter, which is this idea of uh, purpose, passion, place, and helping leaders really ground themselves um, in the purpose, the question that they're there to answer, um, the place where they're doing community-driven change, and their passion. Um, and we really think about the intersection of those three things as unlocking the opener's ability to lead in intensely complicated political co-creative work. Um, we, you know, uh, one thing we are very clear about is open system work is harder. Um, it is easier to operate in a closed system way. We are addicted in our society to closed system approaches. Um, so we are uh, very intentional in the book about naming that and the strategies individual leaders need to take to create that reservoir of energy to go on that journey. I love it. I think that's also why we talk about behaviors, right? So that we know that when we're slipping back to what is easy, we're slipping back sometimes to that closed definition. I appreciate that. And that, and to be able to see that and, and to grow. 
Thank you both so much for joining us today and for putting together this work. Um, I really look forward to people learning more about it and reading it as I have. It was wonderful. Listeners can find out more about Open Systems at the Open Systems Institute. That's a .org. If you'd like to find out more, you can buy the book at any bookstore of your choice. But it is out by Harvard Press. Is that correct? That's correct. And available on Amazon. Available on Amazon. There you go. Thank you guys both so much. Thank you. Thank you, Rebecca. Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks for tuning in to the Getting Smart podcast today. We want this podcast to be actionable, insightful, and a great way to learn about what's next in learning. In order to stay on the cutting edge, we need people in the field to tell us what they're hearing, what they're wanting, and what they're needing to learn more about. Got a topic or a guest in mind? Send your recommendations to me, Mason at gettingsmart.com. And if you like what you're hearing, don't forget to leave a review in Apple Podcasts or subscribe wherever you listen. Feel free to share the podcast on social media using the hashtag GSPodcasts. Thanks so much.